Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Just so you know what's going on here, this is a recent appearance I made on Ruel Gaviola's weekly Twitch show, 3 at 3. And... That's all you need to know, I think. Let's get to it. Hello, friends, and welcome to Top 3 at 3. My name is Ruel Gaviola. I'm your host for the show. This is an occasional stream where we I talk to uh, friends and people who are uh, involved in the board game industry, whether it's through content creation, the publishing side, or just friends and fans of the games right that's that's how we uh, do it here uh, i want to thank everyone for hanging out in chat as um we got everything ready to go here i've got uh richard ham rado about to come on in just a second want to do a couple of uh say hello to um all of you in chat i want to thank you again for spending part of your day here with us uh means a lot i truly appreciate the support um just a reminder that uh amanda panda is our stream our moderator in chat so Please keep things PG-13, and we, she won't have to bust out that band hammer. Okay, so thank you. I see a bunch of the regulars here. Um, Book of Nerds, Daryl with 1R. Um, who else do we got here? Oh, hey, uh, for Chits and Giggles, thank you for joining us. Electric Camel, Donald Dunyet. Oh, so many so many great folks. So really appreciate it. Um, as Amanda had talked about earlier, hi, Mike. Mike's here, too. And Richard, thank you. Uh, Amanda talks about stream stacks. And folks, yes, this is a thing here. We have stream stacks. Let us know what you're um, eating, drinking, or partaking of in chat. Let us know. We always have a good time with this. It's, you know, with how hot it is these days, I'm all about, you know, drinking something cool and refreshing. So I'd like to hear what you're um, enjoying as well. Um, what else do I need to talk about before we bring uh, Rado on? Uh, you guys and gals and everyone else. We've got a show tonight at 7.30, Tabletop Tonight. We've got a game, play with my family. We do it every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday here on my Twitch channel. So please come back um, at 7.30 for that. And tomorrow at 1 p.m., I'll be playing Wardlings with uh, Renegade Game Studios. So that's a great RPG, and I'd appreciate it if you uh, stop by as well. But, you know, let's get to this. Um, I am going to introduce our guests, and then I'll bring them on in just a second. Richard Hamm aka Rado, is the creator of Rado Runs Through, his YouTube channel featuring board game videos that show, rather than tell, what a game really feels like to play. He's a retired video game designer and plays board games almost exclusively two players with his wife, Jen. They generally prefer games that are heavy, but not too aggressive. So friends, let me bring on our guest and everyone's friend, Richard Rodoham. And there he is, Rado, how are you? Hey, everybody. Did you unmute me? And my... There. I, I unmuted you. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. As if There's we no didn't putting have that genie back in the bottles, right? Oh no no! Oh my gosh, folks! Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, I just spent the last half hour running around like a chicken with my head cut off, dealing with the fact that my router decided to give up the ghost. I get on with him. He's very patiently, hey, Rado, are you still available today? With like two minutes left before go time. And I'm screaming ah! into the universe. At the last second, I get my phone as a wireless modem with the laptop as a fallback. But after one final reboot, this works. Yes. I don't know. Did it work? Am I actually here? Am I yeah. talking to myself? I, I hope not. I mean, I'm talking to you. I hear you. I don't know if anyone else can. Uh, if you guys, if y'all hear us in <laughs> uh, the stream, let us know, please. Oh, my um, goodness. Richard Rado Ham, thank you yeah. so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Um, this is going to be a little different. Uh, so normally I ask my guests to talk about their journey into modern board games. And then we talk, we, we do a list of games. So we're going to do the list of games at the end of the show here. But... You know, normally I, I talk to how did you get into games and so forth, but I feel you, you know, we talked about this before that you've done this, you've done that talk before, and there's yes. plenty of content. Anyone that wants to find that um, can go find it on YouTube or your channel. Uh, you've done plenty of interviews. Um, and actually, well, the easiest one would actually, um, yeah. after this, because you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're here for the next hour, folks. You got, you, 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 you do not step away from that computer. <laughs> but after all that, if you want some more of me for some reason, uh, you just do a Google search for Rado First 10 Games. And that will take you to a video where I basically talked about the first six months of my life as a modern board game fanatic and how yeah. I evolved and all of that. So I figured since that was out there, I, I didn't need to repeat that. So Rel, what yeah. are we going to talk about instead? Well, I do want to point out one thing. And I just, I, I haven't finished it yet, but I started, I've, I've, Watch the first 10, 15 minutes of your interview with Tim from Mepleville Cafe. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And that was such a, folks, I, I highly recommend watching. At least, I mean, I got through the first 15 minutes. I was just like, wow. I mean, you you talk about Black Lives Matter and just the issues that are affecting society today. And it was, I mean, it was a heavy talk at first. And I was yeah. like, wow. And then, you know, I, I sort of skipped around um, because I want to come back to that. <laughs> but I highly recommend everyone to watch that. But I mean, any thoughts? Uh, but I, don't, I don't want that's sort of outside the scope of our show today. But any thoughts on what you talked about with Tim? Um, la- I think it was last week you did that interview, correct? Yeah, I think so. It was either no, actually, I recorded it back in July, but it only just went up uh, oh, about a okay. week ago. I think I'm okay. really super happy with how that came out. And when Tim reached out and wanted to talk, you know, the first thing I asked was, "Well, okay, I just want to be sure. I just want to be clear. Are you okay if I wear this shirt on the show?" Because not everybody is. And by the way, we were so mad, panic, frantic. Uh, is it okay if I wear the shirt? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I, I don't want to push yeah. my agenda on folks in case, but I, I was pretty confident that you would be pretty comfortable with this agenda absolutely. as well. And um, yeah, I mean, actually, you're right. That, that interview with Tim really, uh, he got me to open up, you know, not only just about, you know, what I believe about the movement itself, but also the kind of the journey I've taken to get to where I am to make a decision to wear this and not stop wearing this um, because of mistakes I've made in the past and things that I have failed to see and uh, things that I have failed to do. And I I'm 51 years old and I don't want to fail anymore. Uh, You know, I mean the, the most impactful phrase I have heard this year is white silence equals white consent. And that hit me like a freight train uh, because I thought, well, I mean, my show doesn't have to be about that. I mean, sure. I can, I can stand for what's right and I can do the right thing and I can donate to the right causes. And I could say the catchphrases and the hashtags, but um, I mean, I, I have a platform and Stanley 
the great Stan Lee um, had an amazing Stan soapbox uh, um, fighting back or arguing against folks who would say, you know what? All this politics working their way into our comic books and our funny pages. You should just stay in your lane and leave politics to the politicians. And Stan had the ultimate put down for that. Um, and if anybody wants to see it, go to blm.rado.com. I've made an entire thread on my guild devoted to this and how... How, you know, how much misinformation and propaganda is out there that sadly so many of our fellow Americans and fellow people around the world believe, and I try to counteract that a little bit, but more importantly, um, yeah, it's, I, I think it, you know, the, the longer we all stay silent, the longer things don't change. So that's kind of where I'm at at this point in my life. Well said, well said. And for me, what was inspiring about listening to you talk to Tim was, you know, you would, uh, you know, you said, hey, you know, I was looking at a certain thing from a, um, a different perspective, and you were able to change your way of thinking uh, yeah. in, on this particular issue. And I think that's a lesson that we can all learn from, you know, it's like, you're, you know, no matter how old you are, you're never too old to learn. Right. Yeah. And I think that's such an important lesson. I, I you know, I, kudos to you and Tim for talking about this and, you know, bringing it up. I, I just, I, for me personally, I really appreciate that. Um, so how do I segue from that to talking about games? <laughs> you can do it, man. Be smooth. Be smooth. Yeah. yeah. So talk, <laughs> we go from that heavy issue, but let's, you know, you, you talked about it also in that, uh, interview about, you know, you were, you know, somewhat your, your first six months of, uh, board gaming, but how do you, decide to just pick up a camera and start filming this stuff and then becoming like this, you know, the biggest face on YouTube as far as, you know, playthroughs and stuff. Like I what? Know. Yeah. Biggest. That's very kind of you to say. Well, um, <laughs> well no, it was, it was largely, largely a matter of practicality. I had been a video game designer, lead designer, creative director type for almost two decades. And in my mid forties, I was completely burned out. And I'd gone through some particularly tough times, had some some things I was very passionate about get canceled right out from underneath me. And I told my wife, I don't think I can do this anymore. I've been doing it for too long. I've been killing myself 60, 80 hour weeks, 52 weeks a year for two decades. I just can't do it anymore. Um, and Jen said, well, why don't you stop? <laughs> and uh, we'll figure it out. And so I did. And suddenly I found I had a lot of time on my hands. And I realized that without my video game money coming in, I couldn't continue to afford my uh, my <laughs> habit. Yes. Um, well, I'd say hobby, but no, my, my diehard habit that I had developed. And so I'll be honest, I'm always just very upfront about this. I know a lot of people are very coy and saying, well, I, I just make the videos for the love of the video. I started making videos. I picked up my iPhone one day for two reasons. One, I had a lot of time on my hands. And two, I thought... <laughs> Well, if Tom Vassell can do it, maybe I can do it too. Because they sent him a lot of review copies of games, and I don't want to stop getting games. Right? And uh, <laughs> and yeah, I, I just started the the path I took. Um, I really kind of lucked into because of my video game background. At that time, this was around 2011 to early 2012. Let's play videos were just becoming a thing on YouTube. Uh, I, I can't imagine that PewDiePie was anywhere near as big as he is now. He was probably just starting out or had only just you know gotten early successes. But this idea was still so antithetical. People, why would I watch somebody on YouTube play a video game? I'll just play it myself, thanks. But in fact, of course, as we now know, uh, you know, you know, let's plays are the most dominant video form on YouTube when it boils right down to, it, except I suppose for music videos. And I thought, yeah, the, these are a growing thing. I like them. I appreciate them. Why is nobody doing it for board games? Which is what I truly love. Okay, I'll do it. 
And that's basically where I started. My intent was as much as possible to make you feel like through uh, the first person perspective of my crappy iPhone four, I think I started with, and with my unfortunately hairy arms in the foreground, if you could put that aside and just project yourself into it, you would feel like you played the game because these games are expensive. And my goal has never been People get this wrong. My goal has never been to teach people how to play. It has never even been to do reviews. Uh, although, of course, I've never denied that I am effectively a board game reviewer. There's a lot of controversy about that, too. My goal has always been to help you, the audience, get a sense for whether you will like it. Because it doesn't matter whether I like it or my wife likes it. We're just two data points. Um, but if you can feel like you have spent a half an hour, 40 minutes at the table and you can say, yeah, that would be good for me and mine, for my loved ones, my friends and family. Then I've done my job. Or by the same token, if you've watched and you say, oh, yeah, that will not work for us. And I'm, I'm so uh, thankful and grateful that it worked. I mean, I always warn people, sure, watch my final thoughts if you want, if you want to know what I thought. But that's immaterial. D draw your own conclusions from the video. And, of course, now I think we're seeing more and more and more of that. Although, I'll be honest, very few folks who are doing board game run-throughs now copy what I think is the most important secret sauce of my show, which is I actually talk about what I'm thinking. I don't just say, okay, well, I'll just play this card. And that means I collect four of those sheep and then I can convert two of them into gold, which I use to uh, buy first player. My turn's over. You know, I, you know, I actually, oh, okay. Well, I've got four sheep and that could get me the two gold, but do I really need that gold? Yes. First player is nice, but honestly, I'd still be fine with, you know, that's where a board game lives. It's all those permutations, all those cause and effect chains. That's where the fun factor is. And there are very few channels, from my perspective, that articulate those mental processes. Uh, and you know, I yeah. think most people think, oh, that's really boring. Just demonstrate the raw mechanisms of how A leads to B to C to D. And to me, that's almost the least important thing about my show. Um, yep. Those create a scaffolding that I then navigate through, you know, narrating every step of the way. Agreed. And why do, why do you think that is? That, like, that's exactly why I love your run-throughs is that, you know, you really do get into, okay, here here's what I'm thinking on my turn, or here's what Jen's thinking on her turn. Why don't more content creators follow that format? Why why do you think it's they're just, you know, doing A to B to C to D? It, it's a really good question. I mean, uh, and it's not at all uncommon for them to even go out of their way to edit out that content. Yeah. I've, I've seen folks doing that. And uh, I, oh, I, I there's no denying the fact that, while I have been very, very successful, um, I turn away a lot of viewers. There are, I believe me, I hear every day, uh, seven days a week, 365 <laughs> days a year, how terrible my videos are because I just won't get to the point that I spend too much time waffling and pontificating and not enough time actually playing, that I should be able to finish an entire game in the time that it takes me just to articulate three turns. And so <laughs> I know there's a there's a not insignificant audience who just want, look, I can only draw my own conclusions by just seeing the raw mechanisms and anything else gets in the way of that. So I, I can only imagine a lot of folks, I mean, other content creators feel that way, that they look at me and say, gosh, if I, you know, I would be fantastic if I could just take all of Rado's content, but strip away all that blather when <laughs> it's the blather that's the secret sauce. I that's yeah, that's that's your personality. I mean, that's what gives it that human element, right? Yeah. It's like here you are, you know, the gears are grinding, and here's what I'm thinking. Um, I want to go back to something you mentioned about burnout. You talked about mm. burnout in your video game career. Mm -hmm. Have you faced that 
since you've become a full-time content creator for board games? I have not, but it is something I'm very, very cautious of because yeah. my wife has. My wife okay. and only gaming partner. There have been um, more than one occasion, especially early on when we started the first few years of doing Rado Runs Through, where um, you know, at that point I was like, hey, well, let's play anything. Let's give it a try. Put everything at the table because as a former game developer myself, I even if it's a game I don't enjoy, I still kind of enjoy it just to analyze it and see how it works and take lessons away from it uh you know i can appreciate it on an academic level jen only enjoys them from a perspective of am i having fun making these decisions right now and the first time i ever heard her say after some game that it turns out she just wasn't that jazzed on that she said well you know maybe we should just take a break from these games for a while i was like whoa <laughs> whoa okay i am doing it wrong here um and, and after that i became incredibly vigilant about ensuring that before anything hits the table i have vetted it to the nth degree to make sure we are um, we forget that she is going to have a good time playing it or at least to the best of my ability knowing her and knowing how games work uh i've been able to anticipate whether she will find it engaging because if she burns out it's over well mm. it's all over um so i kind of have that built-in filter i mean she'll get burned out well before i will and my number one every waking moment of rado runs through is ensuring that doesn't come to pass and then, so what have you felt the burnout though? I mean, you've talked about Jen. What about yourself? Have you gotten to that point yet? And if you did, or if you felt like it, how could you um, get over that hump or how do you deal with burnout? Uh, well, I mean, burnout with games or burnout with doing the show? Uh, how about both? Okay. Uh, burnout with games, no. Uh, but what I have had to do uh, really kind of aggressively over the last couple of years specifically is uh, kind of, uh, oh, what do you call, tightened the valve? So that less water, you know, I, I, it used to be, I was committed to covering as many games as I could a month starting last year, which was my eighth year of filming. I said, you know what? It's my eighth year. I'm going to commit to exactly eight run throughs a month. That's two a week. That should be good enough. Plus there's podcasts and other stuff. And of course I didn't stick to that, but it's still, at least I did kind of pull back towards that this year, starting my ninth year, I rearranged that to commit to six. Um, and that is more than anything else, making sure that I don't burn Jen out. Now we're still playing. We, we probably play on average 20 new games, uh, you know, learn, play uh, every single month. But when it's a game that we, I mean, uh, when it's a game that we can play that we know I'm not having to turn into video content later, there's like a huge weight lifted on both of us when it boils right down to it. Because even though Jen doesn't appear in most of the videos, she's still not... The first thing I'm going to do after we're done is drill her uh, about what did you think? What was your experience? I mean, you've explained half of this game. And even though she is a professional glass artist and um, you know graphic designer, so she's never really had a vocabulary to talk about game design. And yet I still just try to pull out of her everything I can. And she knows that's coming. Sometimes I can't even wait and I just start, okay, let's start dissecting this halfway through the game. What do you think about this and this? She's like, can I just play the game? Okay, okay. I'll wait till the end and ask you. Um, <laughs> so that's a pretty regular thing. But what I did um, really starting last year, or no, is it this year? No, I, I, I'm doing it for just over a year now, is rather than trying and failing to cover every single game that comes through my door with a, with a run-through, because I just humanly can't do it anymore. I now have a monthly compilation show where I, you know, at the end of the month, I say, hey, here's all the 20 games. I'll, t I'll talk about each of them for three or four minutes. And, um, and 
in addition to that, there will be the eight or six run-throughs I'm doing now. Oh, that's not all. I'm doing run-throughs, but then I'm doing like, you know, Patreon-specific content, you know, behind-the-scenes videos and extra plays that uh, don't ever go live because they're only for backers of the show. So um, I was so vehemently opposed to ever doing that. I mean, I could have done this a long time ago, but like I said before, I've never wanted my show to be about what I think and about my opinion. I, I don't mind giving it, and I know my audience wants to hear it. Um, and yeah, I'm opinionated. Who doesn't like hearing themselves talk? But I, I, I never want... I, the, the thing that terrifies me most, and it hurts me the most, is anytime I ever read anywhere, somebody saying that I led them wrong. You know, and, you know, because, and invariably, it's because they went out and only watched my final thoughts, saw that I loved it, and got it sight unseen. I'm like, ah! Why did I spend two hours making that run through so you could have decided for yourself? It's amazing to me, Ruel. These are so expensive. And yet there's such a high percentage of gamers out there who want to make snap decisions. Okay, I'm hovering on the buy. Should I buy? Should I not buy? It's like, that's a $60 thing. Maybe spend 20 minutes thinking about it. Don't just click yes because some random person said get it. (laughs) Uh, It's very strange to me um, that. But anyway, I... It, it was it was a necessary evil because I was to the point where at any given time I'd have over a hundred games that publishers had sent me, and these were games that I had vetted and said yes, I think we would like to give these a try. And there are so many of them I cannot keep up. I mean, the industry is so has gone through so much explosive growth in the last decade that I ultimately have to do it. And of course, the roundup is by far the most popular show I do every month. Gets more views than anything else. And um, <laughs> and uh, you know, and, and I and so I, I have become that which I fought against for so long. <laughs> but it, it was just absolutely necessary. And all of that, to back to your point, was a method to try to scale back the sheer amount of volume to combat a burnout, both in terms of playing yeah. and in terms of making the show. So you're you're proactive in that sense. You're like you're guardian against that possibility that hey, I'm going to get too many games. It's just going to kill yep. me to make content and play games. Okay, so that, yep. that's that's and a great. W- I should say there's one other thing I'm uh-huh. trying to do with the ninth year as well. As you know, uh, I am trying to bring on contributors as well uh, yep. um, so because I, I just can't cover it all myself and I need help. So I'm on the lookout for folks who I think are a good fit. Shay Parker and Ryan Crichton. Uh, they've both been doing a, a, several videos for me and that's working out well. And I don't think I'm ever want to have the raw unbridled ambition of Tom Vassell. You know, I mean, I, I do not want to create a contender to the dice tower empire. Uh-huh. I just want to make sure I'm getting all the games covered. So so there's there's no chance of a Rado Tower in in the near future. <laughs> that is not on the that got scratched off the list a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, by bringing on different contributors, um, yeah. how's do you find that difficult? You know, here's your th- I mean, this is your baby, right? And then to give up some of the control, um, I mean, obviously you still have certain things like you want your other contributors. Hey, I want this to look like this or follow this yeah. format. But how is that a difficult process for you to give up some of that? I was worried it would be. Um, actually, I should say behind the scenes, there's another thing I've done for the first time this year. I've gotten much more serious because I brought on a channel manager and talk about burnout prior to having Andrew on board. The amount of time I spent interfacing with publishers and, um, you know, dealing with all kinds of minutia of just running the show, paying Paulo. I mean, I've had a contributor for years now. I mean, right. Paulo is a paid member. I, uh, I, I do my best to take care of him, but having to deal with all of that stuff, in addition to just trying to play the games and film the games, um, it was 
very overwhelming. And um, having Andrew come on, the first thing he did is, I'm going to find you contributors. And I'm like, nobody does what I do. It's just, it's, it's, I mean, and he said, nope, I'm going to find him. And he went out and he thoroughly scrubbed every single bit of board game content there was. And he came back with Shay and said, nope, this kid can do it. He can do what you do. And I said, he's never done it. Um, he said, nope, but he can do it. And so I watched him and, uh, and you know, while he did, he'd been doing, you know, uh, rules teach videos for the most part and some video vlogs and stuff like that. But one of his video vlogs, he taught the way he talked about how he personally teaches games really spoke to me and it was like, wow, okay, you're my brother from another mother there, right there. You are, <laughs> you're verbatim doing, saying what I would do. And, um, and, you know, and it didn't hurt. That he is a trained actor, a improvisational actor, you know, groundling yeah. stuff. So he's fast on his feet and all that kind of stuff. So we gave it a try. He did a test video and it was awful. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and it was fine, but it was nothing like what I would have done. Um, you know, it, it, it had the same bones, but it was just so far off in a different direction and a uh, different em- emphasis and different cadence, different structure. Um, but so basically I, I, I took that video, which was like 20, 25 minutes long. And I did a 90 minute critique, just watching, pausing. Okay. Here's what you did here. And this is, you really should have been talking about this now, because you see, if you talked about this, and basically I did a run-through of his run-through, breaking down my thought process of how I would have filmed it. And to his credit, the the second attempt, he nailed it to the wall. And um, if he didn't, if he had gray hair and uh, a slightly deeper voice, I don't (laughs) think you'd be able to tell him apart from me. He so nails it now. I'm absolutely blown away. I mean, so much so that he is convincing me. I'm for the first time seeing what it's like to watch my videos because he is convincing me to check out games that I know. And I long dismissed (laughs) as something I would never want, but his enthusiasm and his unbridled passion for it comes through in the same way. I guess mine does. And it's, it's potent. So that worked out really well. Ryan, on the other hand, he's just doing a completely different thing. He's Mm -hmm. just brought his unique style of how to play rules videos, which, by the way, are by far the most polished and, um, you know, professionally presented uh, in the industry. And and yes, I I say that knowing uh, I'm I'm I'm. I'm, I'm dropping a mic there to uh, certain Canadians. <laughs> yes. um, no, no offense to certain Canadians, but Ryan, although to be fair, Ryan is also a Canadian. Maybe Canadians are just amazingly good at how to play <laughs> rules videos, but I was so blown away by Ryan's stuff. And I didn't, it, that was a case of him coming on and doing something completely different. Like I said, I have always, it always frightens me every time somebody says, you know what? I'm not going to read the rules. I'll just watch Rado's video. No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Or at the very least, please turn on the Klingon subtitles if you do. Um, So that was actually pretty good. And, you know, I'm hoping to bring on more folks, um, you know, to to try and maybe be able to do what I do and maybe do completely different things as well. So we'll see. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I want to thank you, Rado, again for just hanging out and chatting with us today. Um, We're going to start talking about games in just a second. And I see here, uh, now, you're not, uh, are you, you don't have a Twitch channel, is that correct? No, sorry, Bob. Okay, so this thing on Twitch, I'm going to do this thing. Uh, There's a thing that uh, creators do or other Twitchers, Twitch streamers do where they raid other people's channels. And so we've been raided. um, So I'm putting on my raiding hat. 
uh, for our friends here. This is something that Michelle made out of um, a manila folder, believe it or not. And some I have seen cake. you wear this several times. Yeah. So that means I've never so, heard you explain this though. What yeah. Is happening? So, so we've, we've gotten raided by another channel. So someone else's was um, their channel, their stream has ended. And at the end of their stream, they take all of their viewers and say, Hey, let's go raid this channel. And they've raided. They saw Rado was on Ruel's channel. Let's go raid Ruel and Rado. So another, like so many people here, this is the raiding hat. Thank you raiders for joining us. Oh, well, yes. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Tutors this is Rado. Folks. It's lovely yeah. to have you. <laughs> so thank you. Yes, this is the Radiant Hat. Um, we are going to be talking about, so for those who just joined us, we are hanging out with Rado today, and we are going to be talking about the top three games that did not make the BGG top 3,000. So there's there's like thousands and thousands of games on BGG. And you always talk about, you know, everyone talks about their top 10, their top 20, their top 100s, you know. And Rado, before um, we met today, he said, hey, why don't we do something different? And this is what he came up with. And I, yeah. I love this idea. And I'm going to be honest. So I, I know what's coming up on the list. And I'll be honest, I have never played any of the games that you picked Sir. I saw your list as well, and I'm like, what are these games? <laughs> this is so great. This is That's not true. I know one of them, and I think I okay. maybe know another one, but I'm not 100% certain. But yeah, I mean, more than anything else, I I, I, lo I love alliteration. I mean, Rotto runs through. It's it's woven into me. Um, so, uh -huh. you know, a, a three at three, 3,000 was a no-brainer. But it's also a really nice opportunity to talk about games that just aren't going to get talked about in any other format. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's not that they're not great games. It's just that, you know, they're not necessarily the greatest worker placement games of all time. They're just really wonderful games that were forgotten as demonstrably proven by their low standing on BoardGameGeek. Exactly. Yes. So uh, thank you, folks, for joining us. Um, I'm going to get I'm going to kick things off. Uh, we're going to both do honorable mentions and we're going to get into our top three. So obviously it's a really top five. But, you know, thank you. I was just going to call <laughs> you out. If you were not going to come forward and for once in all admit this is really five at three. Let's yeah. Kid ourselves. But, you know, like you said, I like the alliteration thing. So top three at three works yes, better than top go. five at three. So yep. <laughs> here we go, friends. Um, I'm going to start with my honorable mentions. So the top three games that didn't make the BGG top 3,000, my honorable mentions. I've got two of them, Blank Slate and Dr. Shark. So Blank Slate is a game from the op that came out, um, I think, two years ago or maybe three years ago. And it's Speaking a Speaking of. Yes. We should mention one of the restrictions we agreed to is oh, no yeah, games right. that came out within the last couple of years. Yes. Because yes. if it's relatively new, it might still make its way up. Right. So, so I, these we are agreed all... on like uh, anything, but um, nothing after 2018, correct? Correct. That's right. Okay. Yeah. 2018 and earlier. Sorry. Yes. Thank Please you. continue, sir. Yes. So Blank Slate, this is a party game um, where it's, I think it's three to eight players and you all have a little, not a piece of paper, but you have a um, little dry erase board. And it's a word game. And what it is, is uh, the clue cards have one word, like say fish, and then a blank. And that blank, you're supposed to fill in with your own word. And then everyone reveals at the same time. And if you match with exactly one person, you get three points. If you match with more than one person, you get one point. If you match with no one, you get zero points. It's a race to 25 points. It's basically a word game using Dixit-style scoring, where you want to match with exactly one person. This game I absolutely love. It's a game I play with family and friends, gamers, non-gamers. And what I really enjoy about it, especially nowadays, it's a perfect game to play over Zoom, Skype, yeah. or any other video conferencing uh, software. So that's one of my honorable mentions, Blank. So have you played this one? 
Richard. No, I am not. I have okay. not heard of it. And it sounds, I mean, because this sounds like it should have the success of just one. This sounds like a really clever core idea. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because it, it might have come out either. It was around the same time as just one. And I feel oh, like, wow. yeah, oh. I feel like the timing was sort of brutal on this one. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Because personally, we got it. And then, you know, my family and I played it. And then a month later, just one came out. It's like, oh, no, no more blank slate. It's all about just one. So, yeah. yeah. Well, but this is where we turn it all around. Exactly. Yes. Let everyone buy blank, blank slate. Uh, <laughs> But um, I, I feel like it's different enough where you can have both games in your collection. No problem oh, yeah, yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of my honorable mentions. I'm going to move on to my second one. And folks in chat, if you you know feel like you've, uh, if you enjoy these games, please let us know in the comments below. I want to thank Amanda for moderating chat. There's a ton of comments. I have not been able to get to them because we're just we're just talking away. And, you know, we thank you all for joining us. And, and I'm going to move rated. on. We are being rated. And we got rated again. So uh, hats off. Yeah, we got rated twice. This is crazy. <laughs> Richard, you got to get on Twitch. I mean, you're going to get I'm, rated I'm, this one. I'm coming over to the tab and looking at every once in a while, and it's just a hodgepodge explosion of colors and icons. I don't right? even know what I'm looking at here. Right? Yeah, and I'm still learning. So, um, yeah. yeah. Treasure yeah, chats and baskets and right? presents and crowns. And yeah, it's I'm great. Getting, ah. <laughs> so let's uh, move on for my second one. Yeah. Uh, this is a game called Dr. Shark. And this is, I think it's four years old, probably 2016 or 2015, maybe. This is, I think I know this one. Yeah. So this, I, I have, I just happen to have the box here. This is Dr. Shark here. Yep. Reach into the bag, there feel around. Yes, right? that's it. Yes. Exactly. Okay. So it's, it's another party game. And yeah, it's a very, it's a unique game in my collection because like uh, Rada was saying, you reach into a bag and pull tiles out and it's very tactile. You're feeling the shapes of the uh, like puzzle pieces or you're feeling that some of them are like rough, like almost like sandpaper. Others are smooth. Others have like a little pattern on them. I mean, it's so unique. You're just pulling in and you're trying to solve these. Uh, it's set collection basically, but you're trying to collect the sets of different textures shapes or whatever and oh it, it's it's by antoine bowser i mean he's like one of the designers oh my gosh i didn't realize that wow. yeah yeah it's him and like uh, two other people um but the reason why i love this game uh, i mean it, it's a, it's a fun family game but it's got the single best shark um <laughs> shark piece ever and here it is right here folks oh that is a fine shark piece yeah what? so i and what this is, this is used for nothing except to bother your opponents. When it's <laughs> when it's their turn, you just take this little shark and you know you smack it up next to their head to distract them. It's while they're silly. trying to do the tactile, do yeah. I feel leather yeah. texture or whatever thing. Exactly, okay. You're, you make them more nervous or more anxious <laughs> or whatever. So more annoyed, yeah, more annoyed. Whatever definitely. it takes. Yeah, so that's that's one of my honorable mentions, Doctor Shark and. You've you played it, obviously. You have played. No, I'm not. I've I've known of this game for years, and I've always been curious to try it. I mean, it has this really cool retro James Bond fifty secret villain yep. lair vibe to the art, and I, and I like the idea. I mean, about like I said, it is mostly a party game. I can't imagine it's going to be a particularly compelling. Let's sit down and for a two player game for a half yeah. an hour and a battle. It's probably not that. It's just definitely more not clank, clank 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 clank. Yep. <laughs> what do you think that was it's got it's a pentagram come on <laughs> stuff, that's I it exactly yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> so those are my two honorable mentions let's move on to rados you have two as well okay yes i do also okay. known as my number five and my number four okay, on my yes. top five. <laughs> um, top five. speaking of folks i haven't recorded yet because i wanted to see how this was going to go every month i do a top 10 video my top 10 video for this month is numbers uh 10 through six of this list and so after oh. that'll go up i'll be pointing uh, by the time that goes up i'm sure this video will be available and so it'll be 
I, you know, I'm just here basically to do half of what I had to do anyway. We're all just helping <laughs> me out. I'm happy to be uh, to help you out, sir. Right. Um, <laughs> so my number five yes, is Arhial, which is a Tetris-style polyominotile-land game from the designers of one of the heaviest Euro board games the industry has ever seen, um, Madeira. And, uh, you know, for for those designers, um, was it Nuno and, oh, I can't think of their names off the top of my head. I'm okay, drawing a blank. Up. Yeah, Nuno uh, Centennial. Biz- uh, yeah, and, and, and Bizarro. Paulo, and Paulo Soledad. Paulo Soledad, yes. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've met these guys in real life. They're great guys. And nice. they're known for crazy heavy stuff. Um, but this is a very fast, light playing game uh, where every player is effectively playing Tetris, which is to say the polyomino pieces, when you get one, you have to put it up at the top of your board and it has to slide down. And um, when it hits, when it gets to where it's going to go, you can slide it to like, you know, slip another thing. So it's exactly Tetris-like. Um, but imagine if you will, Ruel, a game of Tetris where you are don't have free reign to rotate the pieces on their way down. Um, all the pieces that I can draft from are on this little spinning board and um, whichever way they're facing. If, if I see the all important one line, you know, that you want to slide in perfectly to, you know, you, you know, the Tetris feeling, everybody's yes. done it. Yes. Um, but it's, it's horizontal. It's lying flat. I don't want that. Well, one of the actions I can do on my turn is rotate the entire dial. So it and all of the other Tetris pieces get rotated. So I can't just rotate one. I'm rotating everything that's available to me um, and everything that's available to you because anything I don't take is available to you on your turn. So it's basically Tetris, but with this really crazy extra level of puzzleness of you having to manipulate and rotate multiple pieces at once, either because it's going to get them where you need them to go or the, the, the size and shape, or because you can see what your opponent, the next player needs. So, okay, well, if I, if I rotate this so I can make this S the right shape for me. Oh, and it also messes up that um, L for you so much the better um it's really really clever oh and the other thing is all the tetris pieces are unique colors and you try to get all the colors um blobbed together to get bigger and bigger area control so on top of everything else you're playing an area control game too it's super sharp and we like it a lot that's my number five or my my first honorable mention your first honorable mention (laughs) my now uh, going real quick on i've never played this game and it seems it almost seems like something that uve rosenberg would have Created, you mentioned right? um, how uh, how uh, what's it um, blank slate just you know suffers under the shadow of just one. Yeah. I suspect this suffers in the shadow of Uwe Rosenberg's you know trilogy, yeah, or quadrology or quintology. Now he just keeps putting <laughs> out more of these Tetris games, and yeah. they suck all the oxygen out of the room. Um, you know, it, it came out right around the same time as Baron Park and Spring Meadow and whatnot. <laughs> and honestly, I think it's one of the best. It's so sharp. Um, but it, you know, it came from a smaller publisher, so it didn't get quite the same push, but I think it's one of the best ones out there. Um, you know, a a big part of it is because of the Tetris nature of it, that you have Mm -hmm. such harsh, you can't just build wherever you want. You have to build in a way that is kind of hardwired into all of us because we all play Tetris so much, I assume. Right, right. Now, um, when the pieces are, you're rotating the pieces, it's on a central board. And then do you have your own board? Is that how it works? That is exactly right. Um, you've got it. Okay. It's, yeah, I, I painted a picture for you, and you you picked it's, up on it. Although perfect, I yeah. was really kind of vague and nondescript <laughs> at all, but you filled in the blanks for me. Thank you. Well, I'm uh, thinking about it because I'm ready. I, I know this is the type of game Michelle would like, so yeah, I'm gonna have to um, per- make a purchase after the show. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and there's actually more to it as well. It has to do with the area. It has like little double meeples, which I've never seen before. There's a lot oh. of neat ideas, uh, nice. and it's got a really fun light. Uh, Our high all is a 
Portuguese word for a particular type of uh, street carnival celebration festival type thing. And these, all the different Tetris pieces represent all the different party goers because you're making dance floors and food stands and whatnot. It's everything about this game is just happy and upbeat and joyful. And then it's got really solid gameplay on top of it. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. All right. So that's one of your honorable mentions. And and now you're... Other or your number four? My number four is um, Nomopolis, which uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Orleans. Yes. Or Orleans, as I'm sure many people pronounce yeah. it, because that's what it looks like. Uh, this is a bag builder along the same lines. Um, these, and uh, Basically, you're filling your bag full of little gnomes, which are these adorable little gnome meeples. They're really, really cute. Uh, custom, I've never seen them in any other game before. But every round, you're going to pull some of them out and put them to work. And they gather resources. You use those resources to build other buildings. Those other buildings bring in more workers for you, but more worker placement spots so you can do more stuff. It's a pretty standard engine building game um, on the surface, but driven by bag building. And um, there's a lot of things I really, really like about this. One, it is a very, very fast. It is one of the most hyper-accelerated engine builders I've ever seen. This is not a game of very slowly rubbing two sticks together until I can finally make my first thing. And by the time you get halfway through the game, I can finally do... In this game, you're doing big things right away. Every building you build brings in more workers. But... um, as you bring more and more workers in, of course, that are going to go into your bag. On oh, this game, it's a cup. It's a cup builder instead of a bag builder. Uh, you have a problem. These buildings that give you special powers, that give you points, that bring more workforce in, that you then have to sort, you know, and hopefully you pull the right ones out of the cup. They also, um, they have um, sleeping quarters on them because at the end of the game, all of the workers I've got need to have some place to sleep. And if I have not, and often you'll build this particular building because it gives you great power, but it gives you a bunch of workers that can't be housed in that building. So you're having to build other types of building with the goal of making sure everybody's got a place to live at the end of the game after you've built up this little gnomopolis. And like many, many um, deck builders or pool builders, uh, you start out with some crappy meeples. Um, that you just want to get rid of so you can keep drawing the really good ones. You know, that's so standard from Dominion on. But in this game, those weaker ones, which represent the the young gnomes, the students, they're interesting because they are the easiest to find homes for, and they are the easiest to convert into points at the end of the game. So do you keep them around so as not to waste all the, the, the beds for them, even though that clogs up your entire engine? It's really clever. And if all that weren't enough, well, um, <laughs> another thing I can do, it's Jen's favorite thing. I can take my cute little wooden meeple, put them on a cute little armadillo, a wooden armadillo, and drive that armadillo over to your Nomopolis so I can use your worker placement spots. And wow, that, it, that did not have to be so adorable to have a little <laughs> armadillo meeple that the little gnome meeples ride on, but it's it's just super charming. I mean, that alone is uh, sold me the game right there. But you got the <laughs> armadillo. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, so fun. Nice. Yeah. That's a, another game. I had like never heard of that game. I, yeah, had no I clue think, whatsoever. I think it came out of Brazil. I or, you know, definitely it was a South American publisher. So again, it was a small publisher, just yeah. had a hard time, um, you know, gaining traction. If I had one complaint about it, like any deck builder, you, as you play, you think, boy, this is great, but I wonder if I'll if I if I will get tired of not getting a new influx of cards and stuff. And yeah. I was so happy just a couple of weeks ago, I saw that they are producing their first expansion for it. Oh, um, cool. which is okay. awesome, which I assume means they're also producing another reprint of the main box as well. Right. So All fingers right. crossed, it will be available soon because it should be because it is excellent. It is right. basically, if you 
if you like Orleans and you wish, boy, I wish I could play this with my family and friends. It is like Orleans, the gateway or the gateway plus game. Okay. Wow. So right there. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's sold it. Another one. Okay, folks. I hope you're keeping track. Cause I've got two games I'm going to buy real soon. All uh, right. Thanks to Richard. So let's move on to our uh, top three. Um, now that we've done our number, I mean, our honorable mentions, not our number four and five. Uh, those are honorable <laughs> mentions. <laughs> I'm going uh, to go with my expected number- um, to have one of those experiencing technical difficulties to pop up when I started reading you the right act and when i come back say my honorable mention is but no you admitted to it right off the bat you, threw yeah, me you know yeah I'm, I'm honest if anything folks uh, <laughs> let's go to my number three is desktop hemocon battle kit i've never my, heard of this what this is game this? oh this is this is actually really great uh my friend ben Osteen is in chat and he taught it to to me and amanda panet actually um he i think this game we got at dice tower west two years ago at Dice Tower West in Vegas. I think that's where he got it. But anyways, we played at a convention. This game is this crazy Japanese, almost like a Japanese game show of um, like battle bots. Mm-hmm. And it's this really fun and crazy mashup of patchwork meets Robo Rally. Patchwork? So yeah, patchwork, right? So it's got the, uh, you know, you were just talking about the Tetris tiles. It has yeah. Tetris tiles in a big circle on the table. And those pieces you're going to be building your robots with. But when you take the pieces, you don't actually put it on your board. You just you put it next to your board in a stack. So it's like this: you just collect these stack of pieces. You've got these, uh, you know, tetraminoes or whatever they're called, yeah, uh, yeah. Tetris pieces. Yeah. And then when everyone's drafted all their pieces to make their robot, you start a timer, and you have one minute to place all these pieces, uh, you know, in the best way you can on your um, player board, and okay. that's your and that's your robot. So then after everyone's done that, you get points and so forth. Then you go to the battle phase. The battle phase, you use the little pieces in your robot. You're going to move your robots, and they're going to fight each other. Sometimes they're going to be doing loops around each other, and sometimes I'll miss you. It's wild, wacky, and fun, and it's wow. oh, Yeah, it's one of those games, like, I never thought Patchwork and Robo Rally mashed up in one would work, but it, it's a blast. It's wow. so much fun. Yeah, it, it's insane, but it totally works. And it's like maybe a 30, 35 minute game. It's light, but there's really neat thing going on with the, uh, you get that one minute to, you know, make your robot. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. What is a Hebocon? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, <laughs> honestly, I think it means it's, it's based i don't know if it's actually based on an actual like japanese game show or something uh-huh. but it's based okay. on like uh, like those homemade robots like in battle bots or whatever uh, oh, those right. shows the were Comedy Central show. yeah, 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 yes yeah. yes yes um uh and ben Osteen, this is a song says, hi ben thanks for joining us he says he is a real event so okay i i trust ben and if ben says it's true it is a convention for terrible robots apparently so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's my number three folks he uh desktop he battle kit a lot of fun wow. Yeah. I'm at a huge disadvantage because you're bringing all the crazy, wacky, off-the-wall fun stuff, and I am bringing all the dry, <laughs> soulless euros. No, but starting... that's a perfect. That's like the perfect mix, though. You know, yeah. we the, as an omni gamer, you know, that's what I appreciate. I can play right. any of these. So, yes, well, it, it does not get any drier or more soulless than my number three, <laughs> the Great City of Rome. Okay, which is a phenomenal tile laying, or you know, they're not tiles; they're cards, but they're squares. So they they could have been tiles or just cards. So I'm going to call it a tile laying game anyway, um, where players are working to, you know, cobble together the best district of Rome after the great fire, typical stuff. Um, And if anybody goes out and looks for this, the first thing I will fully admit to is say, yes, this has got to be in the running for top five ugliest board games of all time. (laughs) It's, 
And I don't say that lightly. I, I mean, I've, I'm aware there's an artist out there who probably worked very hard on it, but and it's it's adequate, but oh, it's just completely lacking of charm or anything that would draw you in. But the gameplay rel is so good. It is from the design, the same design team that brought us Elysium, which I don't know if you played that one. That one okay. definitely got a lot more attention from Space Cowboys. And um, it's one of those tiling games where you have a very, very tight area to build. And the different types of things, whether you're getting, you know, um, form buildings or aqueducts or whatever, they all have unique rules about how they score and what they have to be next to. So the whole game is basically a jigsaw puzzle that you are, um, you know, trying to figure out as you go based on what you get. So that stuff is very nice, but it's been done in a lot of games. What really makes this one special is the turn order structure because every round there is a worker placement board that comes out and they are randomly generated from different little subboards. And um, at one end of this little worker placement board is the emperor. And when it's my turn, I take one of my workers and two play game, I have two. I think with higher players, everybody just has one per round. And I can go on any one of the spaces. The uh, closer I am to the emperor, the sooner I will go in turn order to be able to grab the tiles that I really want. The further away from him I am, the more resources I will get to actually build what I want. And it's interesting, you know, because these worker placement spots, oh, there's a brick and there's a gear and there's another brick and another gear and another brick. If I go all the way to the end, I will get all of those things um, and have a huge payday. I'll, I'll be set for a while. The gears represent being able to run the buildings and activate the special powers I've already got. The bricks are what I need to actually build the stuff that I can then want to run. So um, it's an incredibly tight um decision space it kind of kind of has shades of king domino um oh. you know it's, it's it's a different thing but it kind of has that same vibe that tough tough choice of well the higher up i go the more likely i am to get what i really need but i'm hurting myself long run so trying to find that balancing act it, it works so well here it's incredibly tight um incredibly tense it's a really short game too uh, actually that's true for my next one as well that they are really quick. Uh, you do a lot in a very short amount of time, and just the tension is agonizing as you, um, you know, sweat over every single brick to build whatever building. Because if I can just get that one more aqueduct, but you want it too. So okay, I could get it, but then I don't get the brick I actually need to build it, and you know all that kind of stuff. It's 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 very. There's nothing in here that's going to make anybody say, "Oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this." But it all comes together in such an incredibly satisfying way, and I really do think if they had gotten the Miko or um, you know Michael Menzel or you know a more uh, you know really highly respected artist on it, it probably would have got caught a lot more eyes. But I love yeah. it. I loves it. It's my number three, the great city of Rome. Nice. And now that was actually what I was going to ask. Like, do, do you feel like the art set it back and sort I of, so. yeah. I really, really do. And um, then why, why does a game like say Concordia get away with it? Cause I think that's one of the worst covers ever. Right. <laughs> and yet that uh, game yeah. is highly rated. Yes. And, um, although once you open the box, I mean, I would argue that Concordia has a certain austere beauty to it. Yeah, it, there's I, nothing I, yeah. other than arguably the cover itself, yeah. which they then went with the salsa and made even, maybe even a worse cover. <laughs> I think yeah. the new third cover, they've kind of turned it around. But, yeah, yeah. you know, you don't play the cover, you play the game. And the game itself was uh, a, a really, you know, evocative and atmospheric, you yeah. know, recreation of the uh, 
of the ancient world. This game is not. Uh, all the buildings are they're put at this kind of weird, oblique angle, so they just look like harsh diamonds. There's no detail to them. It's just, yeah. I mean, as you build, the longer you play this game, the uglier it gets. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, and that's definitely different than Car- I, I love Concordia. So, yeah. and, and just again, a, it took me a while to play Concordia. I mean, it was just one of I've always wanted to play it, but yeah, that I don't know if it was the cover or whatever just kept me away from it. But I finally yeah. did sit down. Yeah, that's that's so good. Um, but yeah, okay, great. So, Great City of Rome, like another game I've never heard of, but <laughs> yeah, that's it. Sounds like I would totally play it. I mean, it sounds um, if you did Concordia, I believe you will dig this. Cool, awesome, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let's move on to our number two uh, game. So my number two is Sword Crafters. Uh, this is a game that it's all about the components. I mean, you are crafting an actual <laughs> exact opposite sword. Of mine. Again, <laughs> right. not be further apart. We go from dry Euro to this wacky again a wacky game. It's set collection. You're crafting a sword, and all the different pieces are the pieces that you know, oh yeah you're gonna say something. I was gonna say you're bearing lead. You're crafting a sword in real life. Yes. You are making a three-dimensional sword in yeah. this game. It's so cool, right? And it's, you know, you take the little pieces and depending on where you put them and which ones you collect in your uh, on the hilt and going there, that's how many points you're going to get. And the basic mechanism is really cool. I've always loved the games that have um, I cut, you choose, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you have those pieces on, on the table and then you're going to cut and then someone else, the next player is going to cut, and the next player. So then you're going to have these different choices, and you s- select the ones that you want, or you just select the ones that you don't want someone else to take. You build your sword. It's a 30, 45-minute game. Super, I mean, it's just, talk about table presence. I mean, at the end of the game, you're wielding swords and yes. tr- yeah, try not done, to hit each other. It's all you can do not to actually, okay, now let's go have a sword fight. Right, um, exactly. So we can actually destroy all our components. <laughs> exactly. It's so much fun. So that's my number two, Sword Crafters. Um, you, you've played this. Uh, I have played that one. This is yeah. a very good one. And actually, yeah. you, you, um, you, 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 you only told half the story. The eye cut you choose is literal. Because as I recall, you actually put out a grid of tiles that represent the different building components of the swords. And whoever is the lead player literally cuts that grid in half and then cuts it so it gets cut into into quadrants. Uh, and and you know, I mean, I mean, you don't actually use a knife or anything like that, but I, it's just it's it's a testament to the thought process that went into the development of this game that it makes. Oh yeah, we we slice this up and then we you know we cut up to the divides really sharp. Our only problem with it, and oh, by the way, it's a rare I pick I cut you choose that works well at a lower player count too. Agreed. I I, yeah. I felt it worked very well as a two player game, and often these games don't. Our only problem with it was, at the end of the day, Jen had a hard time enjoying making something that his sole purpose is to kill human beings. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. literally what it. Um, yeah, but that's a testament to yeah. You feel like you're building a sword, and right? if you're uh, you, 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 it makes you feel like a kid again. Just want to have play sword fights, and Jen's like, um, well, how would you feel if we were making toy guns? I'm like. I don't know. That'd probably be pretty fun too. Actually, I have to admit. But yeah, it was not for her. So, I mean, she got into the theme a little too much. Yeah, I was gonna say. I guess you can get around that by saying, "Hey, these are the swords you're crafting. Go fight, you know, monsters or orcs or something yeah, like that." Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Now, why did? Why do you think? Again, you have so, so much experience uh, with games and everything, and seeing what sells and what doesn't. Why didn't this game take off? I thought this game was brilliant, and just the marketing of the pieces alone. Why didn't this catch on? More? It is, and it's really clever. 
I mean, again, yeah. we have not told the whole story. Driving everything we just said, which it seems like, oh, it's just all about making a really cool sword. No, it's a really sharp set collection game because the pieces you're trying to get, you're trying to get certain types of emeralds or jewels or uh, metal compounds to make the blade or the hilt and all that stuff. It's really well done um, with a very interesting race to try to compete to you know get mastery of these different uh, things. My guess, if I were a guessing man, is it suffers from its central gimmick. It looks so much like it's just a silly, cheap, knockoff gimmick, you know, for kids. Yeah, it right. looks like it would be, oh, this is something to go uh, you know, throw to the little boys so they can just go play sword making. When in fact, no. It's a really clever set collection. I split you choose game. I don't think I'd want to play this with a young kid. They'd get really frustrated because there's a fair bit of challenge and depth to the decision. But, you know, they would have probably been better off saying, oh, no, 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 let's be a bit more austere. Let's uh, make it a little bit um, uh, less fun and a bit more dry and say, well, yeah, look, let's make a two-dimensional thing. And it's this beautiful work of art as opposed to, no, it's a, it, I mean, it looks like we ended up creating Minecraft swords when it boils right down to it. Yeah, totally. Uh, totally. Um, yeah, because they're, they're these kind of, they're very sort of blocky, blocky made out of yep. all these tiles. Um, I suspect it's, uh, you know, people judging a book by its cover. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, let's so that's my number two, Swordcrafters. Let's move on to your number two. All righty, let's go. Which is going to be a lot, a lot different than Swordcrafters. <laughs> yes, we're, we're getting back into the realm of the dry soulless euro. Um, the Jace, just another soulless euro is what people uh, <laughs> use disparagingly, but I love Jaces. Bring on the soulless euros. Uh, this is Race to the Newfound Land, and it is from Hans and Gluck. I cannot remember the names of the designers, and um. Uh, oh, I should have. I should have done my research. But I'll as pull we it up right now. Earlier, um, well, thank Martin, you. Yeah. Sorry, uh, Martin Callenborn and Joshin Scherer. Joshin Scherer. They have hard names. That's why I yeah. don't remember. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, this is a, a game all about. It, 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 the title says it all. This is a race. This is one of the most intense racing board games I've ever played. And that's not to say this is a game where we have cars and we're going around in circles trying to cross the finish line. Uh, it's a game of new world exploration. Uh, the board, which looks nice. It, it's not super, but it, it's, it's a nice, solid-looking, uh, well-presented Euro, is a collection of islands in the new world, in, in the Newfoundland area, I would assume. And we only play this game for four rounds total. It is, and I mean, I said this before, but in this game, it is so short. You feel like you have so little time to do so much because we see all these islands and we're going to completely um, cultivate and exploit all these islands in just four rounds. How is that even possible? The thing that actually drives the game is there, um, there at any given time, there are, I think, four ship cards that are available to draft. No, eight. Uh, four cheap ones and four really expensive ones that you save up for for the second half of the game, which is only like three rounds. You know, it, it, you don't have much time to save up for them. But all of these ships have a speed rating because this is a race and they have different stats of whether they're good at carrying materials or colonists or, or what have you. And um, we're basically drafting to get these boats and then using them worker placement style to either get tons of goods that we need to ship out to the new world or bring other goods back, get colonists to ship out. Out, um, you know, get the resources we need to set up colonies out there. And um, the thing that makes this game unique, because again, kind of, I mean, this is probably something that doesn't help, but there's probably no one mechanism in this game that you say, I've never seen anything like this. It's a nice, solid combination of kind of standard settings and mechanism uh, and uh, stuff we've seen in other games. What's interesting about this game is there are, with every move you make, 
there's a half a dozen different races you are trying to decide, what am I making progress on? Am I making progress on the race to get shipped back home, to um, get these islands filled up with colonists? Even the victory point track is a race because as part of setup, on the victory point track, we put these markers. And the first player to hit the marker at 15 points or something like that is the first player to get to go to a deck of super powerful cards and take any one they want. Um, And then, you know, if they make it up to 30, they get another one. So we are racing everywhere. And this is an engine building game. And what is so often the case for engine building games is, right, I'm building the engine and it's coming up and now I'm going to have this amazing turn. Um, The game's not long enough for that. This is a game where it is all about the bird in the hand so utterly destroys the two in the bush. And this makes it feel so fresh and different from other games of its ilk. Um, And uh, it does really clever things as well. Like I was mentioning on the victory point track, if you are the first to hit 15 points and you get first dibs on the really super powerful cards, um, because I'm further behind, that token moves further down on the track so that because you have done most of the work, now I can benefit from that and catch up with you very quickly. So, um, and all the races work in a similar way, the area control race, the shipping race, and all of that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredibly powerful game that is incredibly tense because you are at all times with every single decision trying to decide, well, I'm going to hurt myself in that race to win in that race over there. I think I have to forgive that one or give up on it, but maybe I could still pull it off depending on what you're going to do. Um, oh, and one other thing I very much appreciate too. The reason the race is so important is because it, this game breaks the fundamental rule of Euros. The card powers you can get, the ships and everything, are nowhere near balanced. There are definitely good cards and crap cards. And if you are not winning in some of those races to get some of the amazing cards, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're definitely falling behind. So the tension and the excitement for somebody who loves a uh, soulless euro like me, it's palpable. And it's why it's my number two race to the newfound land. Nice. Um, did It seems like uh, for a game that's about, I think it was uh, 60 minutes or so, uh, it seems like do you can you fall into like problems with ap um in this game because you have so many things you're trying to worry about and does that extend the game time it is um, it, i would say there is a potential for some crunchiness okay uh, my wife is very sensitive to that to be honest i mean she she kind of embraces ap okay. um <laughs> if, if we ever had a kid we'd give them the initials ap i think uh somehow because <laughs> uh, it's just in her wheelhouse i don't think um they, well, I mean, really, with every single ship you get, you are you can see the strengths and weaknesses of that ship. And that okay. does kind of guide you. Once you've got your ships and you know what you want to do with them, a good part of the game does move along at a pretty good clip. I, I think it's a pretty solid, easy hour. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. cool. I've got I've to put this comment here. So some, we were talking about sword crafters um, <laughs> and stuff. Uh, Daryl with one R, one of the regulars here, said sword crafters should have used the same box as Concordia. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps that was uh, that was the answer that we there you go there you go yeah they didn't thank you Daryl one are yes it nice. looked too fun it looked problem. too fun that's right <laughs> let's get into our number ones now these All are the right. big ones okay we do the drum roll blah, 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 blah. Uh, number one so my number one game um, outside of the top three thousand on BGG is The Godfather A New Dawn this is not the Godfather game that came out from Simon uh, Eric Lang was responsible for this is The Godfather A New Dawn from IDW and the designers were Jay Cormier and Senfung Lim. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, totally. I felt like this one just totally flew under the radar, and I know exactly why. It's got that problem of it looks like crap. I mean, wow. sorry to the artists who did it. I mean, it's just very 
gray. And I know they're trying to make it look like that old school Godfather 1940s New York style look. And they they accomplish it, but it just doesn't look that great on the um, table. However, the game itself, it's a lot of fun. It's what I call it. That's a great design duo. I mean, they're fantastic, right? I I love someone just put it down. Yeah. Gerald 1R said uh, the Aquateri crew. Yes. I love Aquateri. Exactly. One of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Um, In this game, it's a dice chucking game. It's I I call it. I tell my friends it's um, Las Vegas, but for gamers. Okay. Oh, so, yeah. Have you played this one, The Godfather? New no, I've not. Tell me okay. more. I, honestly, I'm sure I probably heard of it and just completely dismissed it out of hand because Jen's yeah. going to say no, go, ma- mobsters, no, no, no. Yeah. But is that fairly abstracted? It's totally abstracted. I mean, it's Didn't go on. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you have dice and everyone has their set of dice and one player at the start of the round is going to be the Godfather and okay. everyone rolls their dice behind their shields. And what you're trying to do each neighborhood in on the map has certain combinations. So like, if you want to take over the Bronx, you need three of a kind. If you want to take over, oh. you know, the lower East side, you need a straight one through four or whatever. So your what you do is you roll your dice and each player in turn must offer something to the godfather you would say oh i have a two and a three or a pair of twos that i gave to you and then they'll say well i'll take those or they won't and then there's certain compensation if they take them mm-hmm. you get uh, you get a special die or whatever and then if they don't take them then you have to give them something else um anyways and this is a requirement this is a requirement right this and- is not something people are doing strategically it's like oh this is something i gotta deal with yeah. everybody's gotta Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so that's a little bit of the theme. You have to give something to Godfather and they're going to make an offer that you can't refuse. You know, they're going to say, Hey, you're going to take this or you're going to take that. And then after that phase is done, you go to the um, placement phase where you place your dice onto the map. You try to take over the neighborhoods and score the most points, depending on where you go to. And then of course, if some of your, um, you can be muscled out of certain neighborhoods. If someone goes there, they can muscle you out and they're mm-hmm. going to, dump you in the river in the hudson river uh-huh. and in the hudson river don't worry even if your uh, workers are there they're sleeping with the fishes right um uh-huh. you will get like a bonus power for your next turn so hey maybe you can flip over a die or you can re-roll or whatever um for a game that's like 45 minutes i i again i feel like it's the game that gamers want to play if they don't want to play las vegas but they love las vegas that whole area control bit this is area control but with more going on you get more you have more decisions and the pair pliers are fun and it's an easy game to learn. And thematically it is the Godfather. It's totally abstract though. Cause of the little dice and you have your little games yeah, 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 yeah. for meeples, but Oh, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. It huh. plays up to six. And unfortunately just the, the art is just so drab. Um, they didn't do any themselves any favors with that, but the game itself is so- rock solid. And it's my number one game. That's outside of the top 3000 on BGG. That's a good one. Currently ranked at 7,127. Clearly wow. not given the love it needs. Yeah. I, I just went and looked it up. You had got me so convinced. And I thought, how could I possibly miss this? Mm-hmm. Found out. Three-player minimum. Oh, that, yeah. that's there, there it is. Yeah. Yep. And, and that I'm, killed them. That, yeah. that did not help them that's, in trying that's to right. break through. Yeah, and I didn't even yeah I didn't even think about that. And you know, it's it's one of those games I, I picked up on sale at my local um, game store, and we bring it in for game nights. And I've yeah I've never played it too, so that that's why. So yeah, there yeah, it is. You're not gonna. 
I'm not gonna. That, that that my question is, how did the uh, Godfather, you know, ma- ma- making the offer work as a two-player game? That was, um, and the answer is, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. that's it. So <laughs> that's my number one, folks. The Godfather, a new dawn from IDW. And let's yeah. move on to our guest, Rado. I want to thank you again for hanging out with us today, Rado. I'm much appreciated. And what about my number one? Yeah, no, this one is, uh, okay. I'm sort of like right. building up. Oh, oh, you were leading up to it. I thought leading you were walking me off the stage. <laughs> not yet, not yet. The big Let's... hook was coming out. They were playing me off. <laughs> Let's go to your number one, sir. <laughs> ah, okay. And, uh, I mean, actually, I can take a hint. Yeah, right, right. This game, I've actually, I have heard of this game, so I'm excited. I would hope I, so. Yeah, um, this, this yes. is a big one. Uh, well, Peloponnese, the card game, although oddly it's just called Peloponnese card game for some reason, um, is phenomenal. It is my number one. And I should say the full big box Peloponnese game is in my top 10 games of all time. So it really should come as no surprise that I am predisposed to love this. But, um, oh, I love it so very, very much. Uh, Peloponnese and Peloponnese card game are era of antiquity civilization building games where we are trying to invest in um in our burgeoning society you know getting new buildings that have special abilities conquering land that gives us the resources we need to run those um and every round both games are driven by an auction and i know other games have done auctions this way uh i don't know exactly what's called like the once around auction where when it's your turn to bid this is your one shot. Right. Um, it doesn't just keep going and going as everybody just, oh, Bob, I'll raise by one. I'll raise by one. Can we please just get to the end? Um, it's so tense because you can see what you want, and you can see that I very nervously bid four on it. Um, and are you going to go for five? And if you do, I'm like, ah, I, I can't raise. So every decision in the auction this game is so incredibly tension-filled. Although, there's a beautiful thing about it is that, oh, well, if you did go on ahead and raise, um, if there's something else that I could afford with my bid, because everything has minimum level bids, I could then move to something else. So I do have fallbacks. Um, Or I could just pull out immediately and say, you know what, I'm not going to bid on anything if I couldn't get that one thing. And I get compensation, I get extra resources to make up for the fact that this round I got nothing. So, um, you know, just aside from trying to value these things appropriately. What is the absolute minimum I can pay for this card? Because I'm cheap and I want to save my stuff for other stuff, but still be expensive to scare you away so you stay away from it. And I only get one chance. So I have to know how you value everything as much as how much I value this so I can guess which way you're going to go. Makes the auctions in the original Peloponnese and this game phenomenal. And then the other thing that has always made Peloponnese stand out for me is the fact that these are harsh mistresses, these games. They are really cruel in that um, every round, very slowly, uh, cards or chips, depending on which game you're playing, get drawn that show that we're getting ever closer to a disaster, a catastrophe, an earthquake, a fire, a flood, famine, what have you. And it's going to affect everybody equally when it gets here. And as we can see, these um, harbingers start to build up. It changes everything. And a particular building that nobody would have cared about, suddenly everybody is eyeing because it provides earthquake protection. And so that adds even more weight and tension to every single auction we're going to go through. Um, But the interesting thing about Peloponnese card game uh, that does all the same beats as regular Peloponnese, although the whole game is basically just a single deck of cards and some chips. So it's a super portable, very, very 
heavy, heavy Euro style game in a crazy portable package. Not something you normally see. Um, the thing that makes card game interesting is it is much more forgiving than its big brother uh, because they've introduced new things like, oh, my 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 building did get destroyed by the earthquake. I can invest in restoring it um, and you know, I can kind of bring it back. So there are lots of fail safes. Every resource I have, I can actually instantly sell it whenever I want if I just need a little bit more money to win in an auction. And uh, you know, I can be storing stuff up to use for my original, but oh, you bid higher than I thought. Okay, I can still get this if I want. So the game gives you an intensely broad amount of freedom. Uh, to solve the problems that the game puts in front of you and that you create for yourself. And it gives you so much opportunity just to feel clever all the time when you realize, oh, well, okay, I can't build that, but I could build this. This gets me what I need to do there to cross over this threshold so my population is up. So now I'm doubling my income, which means next round, which is going to be the round when taxes come because taxes haven't hit yet. I'm going to be perfect. So yeah, go ahead and take that thing. I never wanted it anyway. Um, <laughs> the game is constantly... Uh, well, you know, if you get into it, you are constantly getting the dopamine rush of this was an impossible situation. This is the solution and the way everything comes together. Um, but every time you play, it's going to play out very, very differently based on the order that the uh, opportunities come out, the likelihood of different um, disasters hitting. I love everything about Polyphonies, and I love Polyphonies, the card game. I couldn't tell you because Polyphonies has been around quite a while. It's been, it's still a popular, it's gotten a big box reprint, you know, collating all of the expansions into one. But for some reason, Polyphonies card game, well, it's on this list, which means it didn't really capture the imagination. And my guess is, since you've asked before and I'm yep. anticipating, you, you, um, well done, well done. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> maybe Polyphonies fans unfairly dismiss this because they, what is so often the case when you have a big game, the card game, it loses to so much of what the big game is and it becomes something different. And fans of the big game don't really appreciate it. This game is a little minor miracle that it captures this whole big game and squeezes it into a deck of cards. And uh, I'm really blown away by it. It's my number one, top three under or over 3,000. Wow. So as a fan, yes. do you play this one more than the board game now? Because... I would, yes. Um, okay. One, because of its super hyper portability. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing, there's two things Polyphonies has over it. Um, one, a boatload of content. Polyphonies has been around for years and it's had uh, like, a, well, it's got a big box worth of expansions that have come out. Whereas a uh, card game has only gotten one expansion, sadly. Uh, so there's just more, 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 more. But the other thing I will admit personally it wasn't too long ago that I did my top 10 masochistic games list because <laughs> I love games to beat up on me. And regular Polyphonies is a harsher game because it puts you in much tighter straitjackets, doesn't give you as many cool little tricks to get out of problems and, you know, skate away from disaster. Um, you know, I mean, I think the Polyphonies card game is a great introduction because it gives you all this freedom. It's kind of like, it's almost like Caverna versus Agricola. Okay. Um, you know, if, if you if you play both and, you know, Agricola really straightjackets you, whereas Caverna says, do whatever you want. They're the same game, but they have a really different attitude. It's kind of the same thing here. And I will admit, I, I do kind of enjoy being straightjacketed by my games. Gotcha. OK. And do you, uh, do you really? Does the uh, audience get me? I don't know what they do. I think that you've explained it um, clearly. <laughs> and uh, okay. I, I really want to give this game a shot. Like, I uh, again, this is one of the, uh, I've heard of both games, but now yeah. I'm really 
I mean, I'm tempted to buy it right now. Uh, th- this sounds fantastic. I-, I love games that make you feel smart, right? Yeah. And as you were talking about, the, the, it's a fun feeling. It's, it's that rush of dopamine, like you said. And, you know, I need more of that in my life. So I will I, this... warn you, uh, a warning. Um, uh-huh. As a counter to my effusive praise, uh, I don't always recommend this, but maybe go check out Tom Vassell's Dice Towers because he hates both of these games so much uh, because he complains bitterly and vociferously about how they're too mean and they're too soul crushing. Uh, <laughs> and you know, and that's what draws me in. Yeah, come at me, bro. See if you can crush my soul because right. that's you know when when you face those great Euroy style dangers and you can come out on top. That's yeah. the best feeling. And then does this one, I'm assuming it plays a lot quicker than the board game would. Not much. Like no? I said, it's re- that's the thing. I okay. suspect people think this is the San Juan to Puerto Rico. Okay, it's yeah. Not. Okay. It's it's pretty much, you know, um, in fact, if anything, there's maybe more rules because there are more things you can do. You were more register, you know, you were more restricted when you had a board and you kept track of all your resources. Now your resources are cards in your hand. Basically, your cards are multi-use. You can use them as money for the auctions and for building, or you can use them as resources for everything you need to do to maintain your civilization. And um, whereas in Polyphony's, like I said, you know, everything was no, everything is in its own bucket, and you can't mix and match as much. So um, no, it's. It pulls no punches. It is, you know, if if we had done um, big games in tiny boxes, this would be my number one for that list too. Wow, nice, high high praise, high yeah. praise, and there it is, folks. Those are our five um, or our top three, three with honorable three mention. Three with some three, love. Yes, uh, top three games uh, outside of the BGG top three thousand. Um, thank you so much. Uh, so now we're going to get to the end of the show part where I okay. say thank you. I, oh my gosh, I, we've gone long. We, we have gone over. So oh I do dear. appreciate you spending Oops. some extra time here. Um, where, uh, so I put on the uh, screen here, follow Rado on YouTube and Twitter at Rado. Um, anywhere else that uh, where we can find you, um, my friend? Um, well, I mean, all of the social medias, you know, twitter.com slash Rado, facebook.com slash Rado runs through, instagram.com slash Rado runs through. Probably the most important one, patreon.com slash Rado, in case you'd like to get some exclusive behind-the-scenes content for my show and voting privileges and this, that, and the other. Or if you just want to talk to me and fellow fans of the show about Euroy type stuff, go to guild.rado.com, which is a dedicated discussion forum to all things Rotodum, which means all things dry Euroy. <laughs> awesome. And I, I want to thank everyone in chat. Thanks, Amanda, for moderating chat. Thank you, friends, for joining us. Much appreciated. This has been great. Richard, I want to thank you again from the bottom of my heart for spending an hour, 20 minutes, and counting of your time. I know it's valuable, and I do thank you for spending it here talking about games and talking about, hey, we, we also talked about content creation, too. Yes, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, so thank you, sir. And, friends, um, I'll be back later on tonight, 730. We're going to play a game with my family. I don't know which one yet um, because I'm totally not organized, but that's how what I do you th- What are you leaning towards? What's your gut uh, tell you? Gut feeling right now i've got two of them either sorcerer city or oh. um or lockup from thunderworks games so, so a, a quick uh partyish one or a fairly long cutthroat one yeah that's, so uh, those are two that's that's two that's that's, that's what happens when you're omni gamer right there you go yep <laughs> And I also want to remind everyone, tomorrow I'm going to be doing an RPG with Renegade Game Studios at 1 p.m. on their Twitch channel. We're playing Wardlings, um, so please join us for that. Rado, thank you again. Um, any any last plugs before we get out of here? No, I got nothing, man. It okay. is hot in here. Yeah. I don't have my ceiling fan turned on because the mic is too sensitive. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank I you. I am for- done. 
Yeah, thank you for sweating it out with us, my friend. <laughs> Literally, and, yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.